immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by HHB Communications, the UK's leader in pro audio technology. For years, HHB has been delivering the latest and most innovative pro audio solutions to the world's top recording studios, post facilities, and broadcasters. The team at HHB provide best-in-class consultation, installation, training, and technical support to customers who want to build or upgrade their studio environment for immersive audio workflow. To find out more or book a demo at their HQ facility, visit hhb.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 97, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell. It's just me today, Monica's traveling in Japan for three weeks, lucky her. So without further ado, let's start with our interview. Our guest today, Patrick Kearns. Patrick graduated from Glasgow Caledonian University in 2019 with BSc in Audio Systems Engineering. Since, Patrick has achieved MSc by research in audio technology at Audio Lab University of York in 2021, where he's currently continuing his research as a PhD student. Patrick's research explores the development application evaluation of bleeding edge network music performance systems with a focus on immersive audio. This work investigates how spatial audio virtual acoustics can be applied to make network music experiences more like live performance and examines the effect this can have on the way we interact with one another musically in a shared virtual spaces. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Whereabouts are you tuning in from? I am currently tuning in from Glasgow, Scotland today. Please tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into spatial audio. What inspired you to take this route for your research and studies? I am a PhD researcher at the Audio Lab, University of York. My field of research is network music performance with a focus on immersive audio systems. Network music performance technologies allow remote musicians to connect over the internet and play music together in real time. Now, in this context, immersive audio allows us to provide online virtual acoustic rooms for performances to happen in. Each musician or audience member in these virtual acoustic rooms can receive the simulated experience of listening to the networked performance as if they were listening to it in a real acoustic space. Immersive audio is used in two places here. So firstly, musicians monitoring mixes, so what the musicians hear during a networked performance session. And secondly, in the delivery of content created in a networked performance to online audiences. My work in this area focuses on the design, implementation and evaluation of immersive audio network music systems, particularly looking at practical applications and industry use cases. 
So I became involved in immersive audio in an engineering sense while at Glasgow Caledonian University where there was some modules on the topic and particularly immersive audio and wider immersive applications uh, was a topic that really captured my interest because to me it seemed like sci-fi technology that we were in the process of making. So when it comes to immersive applications, the thing that always comes to mind is the holodeck from Star Trek. So that to me was something that was extremely exciting to be involved in. So from there I ended up doing my honours project with David Moore and my undergraduate building an ambisonic distance spanner and then proceeded to go to the University of York to do a master's by research and continue to undertake a PhD, mainly drawn to this lab because of their expertise in immersive audio. My motivation for pursuing particularly immersive audio network music systems was that looking at modern developments in immersive applications and virtual production, we could see that there was huge potential for the integration of network music and remote production workflows, and that this was somewhere where we could contribute and have a lot of impact and also be very practical and useful to the virtual events and virtual production industry. Patrick, let's talk about some of your work you've been doing at the Audio Lab. Let's unpack this for our audience. How does remote network performance really empowers musicians and engineers and what difference does it provide compared to traditional methods? So one of the reasons network music is so exciting just now has been advances in immersive applications over the past five to ten years and we can see this in a shift to next generation modalities for content production and delivery. So we can see next generation music videos, things like Gorillaz, Skinny Ape, mobile augmented reality experience, which you could view in places like Times Square or London. Uh, we can see the growth in pre-produced immersive performance experiences. Uh, so things like Post Malone's 12 Carat Toothache, various productions and game environments like Fortnite with artists such as Travis Scott, a bespoke industry like Amaze VR, they're doing productions with people like T-Pain, Megan The Stallion. We can look to next generation live streams, things like the Foo Fighters Super Bowl concert or like a bespoke industry such as a Wave producing metaverse concerts for Justin Bieber and Calvin Harris. We can look at the progression of technology and immersive concert experiences. So the movement from things like having Freddie Mercury up on the big screen to doing a holographic concerts of Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, or modern events such as the ABBA Voyage experience. We can look at uh, the onset of immersive venues, 
uh, the Las Vegas Sphere being the, the case point of the moment for those. Uh, we can look at wider virtual production as well. So uh, recording audio and music for film, recording dialogue, for example, uh, these are all done with virtual production techniques nowadays. Now, the relevance of network music systems to these various next-gen immersive applications is essentially asking the question, do we have to be in the same physical space to get this done? Can we use these virtual production techniques to create and deliver content remotely? Uh, and the other question that we ask there is, can we get just as good a result doing this remotely as we can if we were all in the same physical space? So this means things like looking at immersive virtual concerts and saying, can all the musicians uh, stream in from different locations across the country and engage and interact with one another in real time and also interact with the audience in real time? It also means looking at things like content creation workflows, uh, recording music, uh, recording dialogue, and saying, do we have to come to a physical space to do this? Or do we have to do this offline, sending around sessions and overdubbing? Or can we all connect online and uh, engage in this production workflow in real time? So what network music really offers here is opportunity. And that is the opportunity to make things happen when it would be impossible or impractical to get together in a physical space to make them happen. Now, this opportunity comes in the form of savings. Now, with any project, there's going to be a lot of logistical concerns. So things like time spent, travel, accommodation, equipment transport, visas. Now, when these concerns make a project impractical or impossible physically, online solutions offer a way to make it happen. So in terms of practical examples, we can look at session musicians all having to travel to a venue to record for music or film. And they can now say, do we have to spend time, travel, accommodation to do the job? Or can we meet online and get just as good a result? Uh, you can see the applications and virtual and immersive concert experiences a, for example, a band being able to connect over the internet, play together in real time, interacting with one another, with the audience, and distributing the concert to various venues, for example, online audiences or audiences in immersive venues. A, there's applications even on the production side of things. A, so as I've said, recording dialogue for film, for example, or even conducting a online and virtual listening and mixing sessions. So that particularly is a bit of a more high latency context than network music, but it's somewhere where we already see industry uptake. A, for example, Abbey Road Reds have plugins for virtual listening rooms a, and also have audio movers for networked sessions that they use a lot. From my personal experience and interactions with yourself and other people, it's clear that 
network music performance is not something you can just buy off the shelf for $12.99 a month and press the button and off you go. There are many ways how to execute the same sort of objective, so to speak. And there are loads of technologies or availability of those technologies that are packaged and available to use for users in a quite raw state. I'd like you to kind of demystify and in a, in a kind of simple terms, describe the full tech stack for the signal chain and everything that's evolved around that. So yeah, as you say, this is a very raw technology and where we're seeing immersive network music currently is mostly in research and it's a current development, the integration of this sort of tech into uh, the pro audio applications. So at the core of any network music system is low latency audio streaming. And this is about getting audio capture from point A to audio playback at point B as fast as possible. So you'll probably be familiar with the effects of transport latency and teleconferencing and how that can affect conversation and musical performance where rhythmic timing is important, uh, the latency constraints are much more critical. So in this regard, uh, the core concern of network music systems has traditionally been latency. But what we've seen in recent years is that we can actually get connections between homes, between universities, uh, between studios, where the latency is so low that it's imperceptible to performers or uh, is at least low enough so that there's no adverse effect on the ability to play music in time. So this really we're talking about latencies below 20 milliseconds. Now the streaming method used in network music technology is fairly common so there's a pseudo standard there and what's done here is audio frames are sent between endpoints and UDP payloads using peer-to-peer -peer connections so to minimize the time it takes for that audio to travel across the network. At receive sockets we're using jitter buffers to accommodate variance in network latency and we're also using ways of maintaining real-time sync across the endpoint. So these can be things like network clocks, like GPS clocks. What you'll find is more common is using resampling to maintain sync between endpoints. So there's a range of open source, uh, free to use and proprietary solutions uh, to this low latency UDP streaming. So there's things like JackTrip, which is a more geared towards command line use. There's things like Sonobus, which can exist as a VST in your DAW. Uh, there's things like Soundjack, which is operated through a browser interface. So that makes it really accessible. Uh, there's things like Elk Live, which is integrated into the Elk OS. Uh, there's other solutions such as Jamkazam, Jamulus. So there's a a wide range of uh, available solutions here. Uh, but as you say, this tech is all quite raw. And what we're really just seeing currently is this stuff starting to get integrated 
into Pro Audio Solutions for immersive applications, so packaged plug-and-play solutions. Now, traditionally, the primary concern in network music systems has always been latency, so can we move audio around fast enough that musicians are able to play in time rhythmically? And what we've seen in recent years is that we've got latency down so low that musicians will either find it imperceptible or at least not affecting their ability to play in time. So now that latency can be considered solved in some regards, we have to ask what about every other aspect of interacting with each other musically in a real space? And that is where immersive audio comes into the network music stack. So immersive audio comes in uh, firstly in musician monitoring. So uh, we use ambisonic and binaural methods here. Uh, and this allows musicians to interact with sound in 3D space the same way they do in real spaces. Uh, now we also do virtual acoustic room simulation. So oralization of the performers in a shared acoustic space online. And this is about allowing the performers to interact with the room acoustics the same way they do with real room acoustics. The other place that immersive audio fits in the network music stack is in the distribution and playback of immersive content. So for example, we might have network music systems used for virtual concerts or we might be using network music systems to produce media that will be part of uh, immersive experiences. And in these cases, we need to be aware that we could be playing back on uh, head-mounted displays for metaverse concerts. We could be playing back uh, to multi-channel loudspeaker arrays and immersive venues. Uh, we could be playing back to Dolby systems at people's homes or out through mobile devices and mobile AR. And in these cases, Ambisonics becomes a very convenient format to work with because we can decode to our potential distribution targets. Now, this is also where we start to see things like client-server architectures. So passing network music performances through a server for distribution to online or distributed audiences. We can also take advantage of things like edge and cloud computing here. Taking some of the processing loads of um, immersive audio rendering and doing it on a server rather than allocating that processing load to the client. Metaverse concerts, a multi-venue concerts to immersive venues, a content creation using remote production workflows. These are all practical current industry applications that we can use network music systems in. And that's where we're particularly interested in having an impact, not just saying how can we understand the experience of immersive network music systems, but saying where can this be useful so industry relevance is really important here and in this regard when we're doing research and thinking about the network music and immersive audio stack 
We look at real-world applications, so things like online music education systems, um, online extended reality environments for recording musical content, uh, or systems for networked virtual concerts to immersive audio venues. Patrick, can you describe one of the sessions that you have already run in the past how does it work? Can you explain the, the process of setting up within the space, the, the instrumentation, the, the musicians, all the kind of uh, technical components from engineering side of things and, and software that goes into it? I know, I know you've mentioned uh, quite a few examples in isolation, but interesting just to kind of imagine what a remote network music performance session would look like in real life. So I've worked on a, a range of immersive audio network music systems uh, through research at the Audio Lab. Uh, this research is led by Gavin Kearney and Helena DeFern, who you had on the podcast recently. Uh, so they've really been championing the network music stuff. Some of the projects I work on include industry collaboration, so, for example, doing audio rendering and networking, uh, working with Bonza Music, looking at online music education as part of the Minerva project. Another example is the audio rendering and networking for the online extended reality made avail recording studio that you were talking about with Anthony last week. Uh, that was done in collaboration with BBC R&D as part of the Minerva project. Uh, Anthony's obviously done a lot of work on that recently, uh, so that's very exciting. And also Jacob Cooper, Tom Ashrodsky and Gavin Kearney have been working, uh, developing that stuff further with some great results. Uh, we've been back working with the BBC again recently, this time with the BBC Singers as part of the Sapphire project. So my involvement with the Sapphire project was in a networked immersive concert that we provided uh, as a pre-event to the Audio Engineering Society International Conference on Spatial and Immersive Audio in 2023 over in Huddersfield. So my responsibility here was setting up the audio networking and Hero is working with uh, Gavin Kearney, Helena DeFern, uh, Jacob Cooper, and uh, Thomas Rudsky. So Tomash was responsible for audio rendering on this project. So for this networked immersive concert, we had an online vocal octet. And this was X-Chord Vocal Ensemble, who were absolutely fantastic and did a brilliant job. And what we did is we separated these eight singers into two groups of four. Four were located in the studios at the Audio Lab in York, and four were located on stage in Phipps Hall at the University of Huddersfield. Now, we connected the two sites over the internet just using the existing shared academic internet connection available at each site. And all the singers were able to hear each other and perform together in real time. And doing this, they provided a concert performance to two sets of audience. 
Now, the first audience was located in a seated area in an immersive venue at Phipps Hall in Huddersfield. This audience saw and heard four singers physically located on stage, and they heard the remote singers, who were streaming in from York, rendered as if they were alongside the four physically present singers. The Huddersfield audience also had the Huddersfield immersive sound system, so this is a multi-channel loudspeaker array that surrounded the audience area. Uh, this was used to oralise the networked performance in the acoustics of Maida Vale 2, which is the room used by the BBC singers at Maida Vale. Over in York, we had a headphone audience, and these were able to watch video feeds from each of the endpoints on a screen and listen to the networked performance oralised over headphones, so binaural audio. Here we again oralised in the acoustics of Maida Vale 2. Now the performer monitor mixes, these were also rendered in the acoustics of Maida Vale 2. And this allowed the networked performers to hear themselves and one another playing in the virtual acoustics that were presented to each of the audiences and allowing them to tune their performances to these acoustics. So this highlights one of the very practical benefits of immersive audio. The singers were able to monitor the content they were creating in the conditions that it was going to be delivered to the audience and adjust their performance accordingly. Uh, the singers also had appreciation of other aspects of immersive audio monitor mixes. So, for example, some found that it was easier get clarity in the mix and get source separation. And this was practically beneficial to performance because it made it easier for the singers to pick out individual parts to respond to and to take cues from. Now, as I said, I was responsible for networking on this project and that meant setting up an endpoint at each site eh, which would stream the local singer microphone capture as well as some additional channels for talkback and tech comms from each endpoint to the other one at as low a latency as is possible while keeping a stable stream. And we actually managed to get 16 milliseconds end-to-end -end latency between the sites. And this was something that the singers found was uh, completely imperceptible. So that's the network side of this. The other side of this is, of course, immersive audio rendering. So at each of our endpoints, we've got our network device, which has all the channels for the full network performance. And these network endpoints bus all these channels out to our immersive audio rendering system. So at each site, we have the singer's headphone mixes, a where they're getting a binaural oralization of the networked performance. And at Huddersfield, we have a multi-channel loudspeaker array, which is used to render the reverberation. And in York, the headphone audience are hearing the performance oralized uh, binaurally. Now, in this context, uh, we use virtual ambisonic and binaural methods. Now, ambisonics is a very convenient format uh, so for various uh, 
different uh, playback methods we can decode from ambisonics. So we can decode to binaural for the York headphone audience, or we can decode to the loudspeaker array for the Huddersfield audience. Now, in addition to the networked concert itself, we also conducted an evaluation of the concert experience from the perspective of the singers and from the perspective of the audience. Now, this evaluation looks to address several questions. Firstly, we're asking, are we providing good performance conditions for our networked musicians? So if we're looking to produce good musical content, we want to have the performers to have the best conditions possible to produce that in. We are asking, can these immersive network music performance systems provide good quality concert experiences uh, to different types of audiences? So online audiences, uh, monitoring on headphones or on screen, or audiences in immersive venues like the one at Huddersfield. And the feedback that we were getting there was very encouraging, that we could in fact provide a high quality concert experience using this sort of workflow. Now, we also recorded the performance material in live conditions and recorded all the audio from the concert event and rehearsal over the network with the system in situ. And one question we're asking with that material is, can we achieve performance which is the same quality as live conditions when using immersive audio network music systems. Now, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this concert, uh, you can actually find these recordings, uh, other recordings of the concert, including Eigenmate uh, and video and 360 video, uh, inside the data set, which is hosted on the Audio Lab Spatial Audio Library. This also contains some select mixes from the networked concert provided by Jacob Cooper and Tomasz Rudski. So the network music solution that we chose to use was JackTrip and this is used to stream audio between sites. It also provides some sync between sites by performing block resampling at each receive socket. Uh, and this is very useful because it doesn't rely on having any sort of network clock. It's very much an uh, approach to sync that will work uh, regardless of your deployment context. Now to route audio between JackTrip and our sound card capture and playback buffers, we use Jack Audio Connection Kit. And you can think of this like a virtual sound card which speaks between applications and buffers in your system. So the reason we choose to work with these particular solutions is uh, first and foremost, it's reliable, so it's tried and tested. So in the current development state of network music technology, there's a lack of pro audio solutions. And this means that a lot of the time we're doing things on the fly. So both JackTrip and Jack, you can control via command line. And that makes your life a little bit easier as an engineer because once you've got a system in situ, you can save your workflow as a script. So the next time you roll out to that site, you can automate the setup and configuration of your network endpoint.
In terms of immersive audio rendering for this concert event, we rely on separating direct sound from reverberation in a processing in a way that minimizes latency. So there's a lot of great audio rendering algorithms out there, but many of them do incur some latency, and we're working in a very latency-sensitive context. So we need to make sure that we're doing our audio rendering in a smart way where we're not incurring extra latency. So for the live audience in Huddersfield, eh, they hear the local singers physically present on stage, and they hear the direct sound from each of the remote singers, eh, represented each by a discrete loudspeaker. And this means that we can take the received channels at the network endpoint and route these pretty much directly to the loudspeakers without incurring any latency. A relative to the direct sound playback, we need to time align the playback of reverberation. So we take our audio channels in to the audio rendering device and we apply our auralization of Madeville 2 through convolution with measured ambisonic impulse responses. So particularly there, we use MCFX Convolver typically and we choose to apply the reverb through convolution because we have a real measured impulse response off Madeville 2 and we want to be as authentic as possible in our reproduction. But also because with the convolution we can do some tricks in time alignment. So for example we know the reverb onset needs to occur so many milliseconds after the direct sound onset so we're going to have to incur a delay there well, we can incur that delay in processing by allowing for large partitions in our convolution and this also helps us by alleviating processing load eh, which is important when handling the high channel counts of ambisonics and using the short frame sizes of network music. Another reason that we tend to use convolution here is that we can compound cascaded processes so for example, rather than uh, applying reverb via convolution with ambisonic impulse response, then separately doing loudspeaker array decoding, we can combine those into the same filter set. Or for example, rather than doing a oralization through ambisonic impulse response again and then decoding to binaural, we can again put those two processes into a single filter and again alleviate some more processing load here which is critical when we're looking at low latency applications like network music. So this system is actually built mostly with open source technology so the convolution MCFX VST hosted in DAW and then Jack and JackTrip. So really part of what we're looking at here is implementing workflows that can be accessible and reproducible. So we try where possible to use resources that anyone can use and that's partly about demonstrating that you don't need uh, access to some closed source technology to make these sorts of events happen. Uh, you just need a little bit of tech know-how but the resources are readily available. When it comes to um, data transmission efficiency, has Opus Codec compression played any role in this particular experiment? So personally, 
Myself, I've not undertaken any evaluation of the Opus Codec, but it is extremely important to network music systems. So typically in network music systems, we look to stream uncompressed audio, but this can come at a high bandwidth cost, particularly when we're running a lot of channels. So Opus can take PCM audio and compress it down to 64 kilobits per second while being pretty transparent. And it can also do this very, very quickly. So very short encoding and decoding frames. And this means that you can use the Opus codec in your stream while adding as little as five milliseconds extra to your system throughput. At the Audio Lab, Tomasz Rudski has undertaken a lot of the Opus evaluation work. So they've done great work there. Particularly, they've also done this evaluation in the context of ambisonics. And I've spoken earlier, obviously, about how a convenient ambisonics is as a format for us to be working in here. Tomashi's work has shown that Opus compressed ambisonics can be pretty transparent, down to 64 kilobits per second. And then we've also got other developments. So for example, with Google, the uh, immersive audio model and format that they've picked up. Just for a quick comparison, um, that would be a factor of um, how much in terms of the data reduction? Yeah, so for uncompressed PCM, 16-bit resolution, 48 kHz sample rate, I would usually allocate 800 kilobits per second per channel to allow for the channel data itself and also some extra overhead for uh, other network processes. Now with Opus, we can get down to 64 kilobits per second as the cost of the channel. So in cases where we've got a lot of channels running or in cases where we've got limited bandwidth, for example, home internet connections in some places, uh, Opus absolutely makes network music possible. So that is both in terms of the bandwidth reduction and in terms of support for spatial audio formats like Ambisonics, where when we're using this, we do have lots and lots of channels running. So that's almost a single order of magnitude reduction. That's quite impressive. Yeah, so it's a, a big change. And the fact that Opus can do this while being transparent and incurring minimal additional latency in your system throughput. For these reasons, Opus has become something of a weapon of choice in network music applications. So a lot of the existing network music applications uh, have already integrated the Opus codec, particularly because they want to be accessible to users with limited bandwidth. So particularly in terms of moving forwards with uh, virtual production and immersive applications for network music, uh, spatial audio support is a big factor. So the fact that we can transport ambisonics, I'll say it again, a very convenient format to work with here. The fact that we can transport this at low bit rates with transparency and with low latency is very important. And particularly here because with Google and the adoption of the immersive audio model and format, eh, in the future it's likely that we'll be getting our audio data in a way that's going to make sense to most of the renderers that we use, eh, be they object-based or scene-based. What are your thoughts on the future of spatial audio and network music performance? 
So all the areas in which we are looking to integrate network music systems, so applications like virtual concerts, like concerts to immersive venues, like uh, virtual production workflows for uh, audio content creation, perhaps uh, creating content that will be delivered in immersive formats like immersive music videos or performance experiences. This is where we hope to have an impact by allowing remote workflows and these are all immersive applications. So there's no way we can really do this without considering immersive audio as a crucial component of the integration. This is true not just of the applications themselves, but the standards we expect for media playback that we understand in these online network systems and virtual events industry. We're going to have a lot of different immersive playback devices that we might have to cater to. Uh, and we need to consider that in a lot of modern media, immersive audio can be considered almost a standard now. So, for example, uh, when releasing music with Atmos mixes. We can also look at spatial audio support being a, almost a standard in a lot of the ecosystems that we're looking at for distribution of immersive content. Uh, things like smartphones and smart headphones, for example. We also find in our research that there's a lot of very practical benefits to usage of immersive audio in these networked systems. So, for example, in providing optimal performance conditions for musicians while they're creating content, uh, or also allowing a monitoring of immersive audio and content creation allows us to perform in a way that sounds good in the context that the content is going to be delivered in. I think one of the big things we'll see in coming years is industry uptake. So now that we've proven the capabilities of this stuff and the value of it in research, eh, we now look to pro-audio industry to start developing and utilising uh, more packaged uh, solutions than we're working with in academic research, for example. Patrick, what is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do? Uh, the best way to find out more about myself and the work I'm doing, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on the Audio Lab website. You can learn about some of the work we've been doing, uh, for example, the Sapphire concert through the Audio Lab Spatial Audio Library. Uh, you can also read some of our various research outputs. So, for example, previous papers like uh, an evaluation of metaverse music performance, looking at different audio rendering methods for the XR Made of Ale system. Or we've got upcoming papers, so there's one to keep an ear out for just now, as a, an upcoming paper looking at the evaluation of the Sapphire concert. What piece of advice could you give that helped you in your career, your journey? So in terms of advice, I would first say learn by doing. Uh, if you're going to be using a bit of technology, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. 
nothing beats practical experience. The second thing I'd say is however long you think something is going to take, allocate twice that amount of time to get it done. Smashing. Patrick, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Oliver. It's been great. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.